15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Oh, that's a cheer we used to do in softball. Uh, what? It's, uh, actually Geico's. Whenever someone hit a triple, we would wave our bats and yell, 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. But we never got to use it because we would only hit home runs. Annoying. The phrase is from Geico because they help save people money? Geico? Yeah, they were our team sponsor. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Well, folks, welcome to one more edition of Politics and Right. I'm Egberto Willis, your host. Thank you so kindly for being a part of the show. We are going to have a great show for you today. We have a whole lot of material to cover, and that is what we're going to do, my brothers and my sisters. Anyhow, as I get, I'm a little bit behind because I had to get a few other videos in but I think we're going to be just fine. As long as all everything holds up fine, we will be just fine. I think everything is all queued up, and we are ready to go. Let's see. Welcome aboard, Michael Rudnan. Welcome aboard, uh, Bruce Pollard, IVQ, Bridge MCP. Glad to see you here. Let's see. Michael Segberto, I'd appreciate if you'd play this 30-second video. Congressional Republicans refused to wear masks while being sequestered during the D.C. ride. You know, I played that yesterday, right? But I'll let let's see what it looks like, and um, we'll get that played for you. This is no not a joke. Our lives, our livelihoods are at risk, and anyone who refuses to wear a mask should be fully held accountable for endearing our lives because of their selfish idiocy. Representative Pramila Jayapal, and guess what? She got COVID more than likely from those irresponsible people in there. Let's see uh, what else is here. Michael says, Bonnie Coleman, seventy-five year old. Cancer survivor, yes, she got COVID, as well as Pramila Jayapal, who got, and I think there are a couple others as well. The Rational National has the follow-up for after the show. The biggest getaway, Scott Free, and everyone else around has to attempt to survive in their wake. Yes, don't we know that? Bruce Polari says, how come Ted Cruz claims someone was charged with 230 instances of voter fraud on the Senate floor when there is no such thing? He lied. He's lying. Nanette Bird-Smith, welcome aboard. Julie Van Ostel, welcome aboard. Monique Hewen, welcome aboard. Uh, did I miss anybody so far? Okay, let's see if I can go ahead and uh, let's go. I- I'll do, hey, this better be public domain that's not going to get my channel hit, my friend. Let's go ahead and go to YouTube. And what we'll do is uh, we'll play that play that for you. And see what happens here. Let's see what happens here. And we'll go for that. The woman is trying to give out mass. I played that yesterday, but this is a much clearer version. And watch how the Republicans are refusing to accept masks while all the other people try to put their masks on. But of course, there are instances when your masks fall off and send it out that can actually be that place where it gets promoted. So, yeah. uh, thank you, Rudnan. That was a good video. That was a good video to for us to play. Uh, you guys saw the irresponsibility of Republicans in the House. In, well, I don't know if that's the House, but in somewhere they're hiding. Julie Van Ostel, welcome uh, aboard. Okay, great. Let's go ahead and talk about what the program is going to be about today. Let's bring that up program today. Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley must be expelled for sedition. Blackmail vote, corporate money, and privilege. Senator Ted, uh, uh, Tester puts Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley on notice. Expulsion from the Senate is possible. Mondale Robinson discusses black men votes. Those are the subjects for today. Today I want to start with a piece that I did on uh, Senator Tester. Let's go there, and then we'll take it on the other side. I was pleasantly surprised by uh, Senator John Tester, Democratic senator from Montana. He wrote an op-ed in AZ Central. It's called Senator John Tester, Members of Congress Who Incited Capitol Riot Must Be Held Accountable. And, you know, I, I, I saw the title of the piece, but I didn't think much about it. But then after reading that piece... He spoke about the, the, what occurred, but he said, a few days into the insurrection, as the president pressured Georgia's secretary of state to find enough votes to overturn his election, 13 of my Senate colleagues took the shocking step of announcing plans 
to change or to challenge the outcome of the election. So right there, early in his article, he hits all 13 in, in, in rather strong terms. He says, um, maybe, it's, maybe they did it because they believe it will help them in their next election. Maybe they did it to raise money or because it's much easier to follow than to lead. Whatever the reasons, blame rests squarely on their shoulders. And listen to this part, because he's talking about his colleagues in the Senate. If traitors to our democracy aren't held accountable, we will fall under siege again. And if that happens, it will unfold with better planning and even bloodier results. I mean, uh, it is amazing that a senator would speak this way about his colleagues, and justifiably so. But that is the way he spoke about the colleague. Read the entire article. It has a whole lot more in it. But he did an interview on MSNBC that I want you to listen to. In a new op-ed that you have out this morning, uh, and I think, listen, we'll see how that unfolds uh, as far as trying to do, do th three things at once in the Senate. But you're also talking about something else. You argue that members of Congress who incited the Capitol riot must be held accountable. I notice, unless I missed it upon my read, Senator, you did not name names here. So I'm asking you to do that. Who are you talking about? Are you talking about Senators Cruz and Hawley? And would you go so far as to vote to expel them? Uh, I am talking about all 13 of them, including Senators Cruz and Hawley. And I think uh, what really needs to happen here is, is the Senate needs to uh, have, have uh, the discussion and have the conversation of what's appropriate by their actions. Uh, I think that actions have consequences, just as I talked about the president. It's the same with the folks who serve in the United States Senate. In my opinion, they enabled the protesters to come to the Capitol, and only after they stormed the floor of the United States Senate did folks have a badge of courage to say, well, count me out on these objections. Far, far, far too late. So I think there needs to be accountability. Otherwise, it will happen again, and people will act inappropriately again. Okay. And I'm not just talking about small stuff. These guys were enabling an overrun of the United States Capitol. Uh, accountability, Senator. What does that mean, then? Does that mean you would support something like invoking the 14th Amendment to expel these 13 senators? Would you get behind that? I think it involves, first of all, a conversation. Second of all, everything from uh, reassigning committees to stripping committees to censorship to ultimately, if it come down to this, expelling some. Yes. So he said it. And listen to how he ends his piece. And to my colleagues who helped set off this tragic set of events, I urge you to take an honest look in the mirror and accept responsibility for the damage you've done. The future of our fragile democracy depends on it. In other words, take responsibility. Resign now or we will expel you. Think about that. A senator, is a, a, senator a colleague is saying, Ted Cruz, Josh Hawley, you guys are traitors, and if after we've gone through everything, it warrants expulsion, we will have no thoughts. We will spare no rot in making sure you're expelled. He didn't quite say it that rigidly, but I guarantee you, if Tester, we all know Tester as a measured senator. He's not one of those lefties. He's not one of those righties. He's one of those measured senators. Ted Cruz, Josh Hawley. Both of them better resign, but we must push to ensure that they are at minimum expelled. You know, as, as we progress as a country and we've gotten into real, what, what, do, what do they call it, real, real uh, reality TV and all that sort of stuff, what we get is people start to forget things. In other words, we had an attempt to overthrow the American government six days ago. It was unsuccessful. And uh, things are kind of going back to normal. A lot of people would want to just forget about it. I mean, we even hear uh, Senator Man uh, Manchin from West Virginia, Democ uh, conservative Democratic senator. Oh, we, by, by following through on this, it'll create division. It'll do this. It'll do that. We have to forget about that. There must be consequences, and we must not allow this to go by. Had they been successful? Hope Bleeker, welcome about. Uh, yes, you can call in, I hope. Absolutely. Let me put the number on the screen. You can definitely call in. Had they put, the, uh, had they put, had they been successful, a lot of people would be in a lot of hurt. 
We would have had a white supremacist government. We would have had a whole lot of people in a whole lot of hurt. People of color, women, uh, gays, everybody, if that had occurred, would have been in trouble. So to go ahead and have Manchin say, let's go ahead and not create dissension in the country. Let's go ahead and create unity. Unity from what? That these guys lost their attempt for a coup and at the same time let them off and somehow it's going to be okay. No, we cannot forget about this. This isn't about revenge. This is about law and order. They like to talk law and order. This is about law and order. They attempted at, uh, uh, what is it called? They attempted, to, uh, they had an insurrection. They attempted sedition. And in the process, these traitors killed two cops, one directly, one likely indirectly, and three or other people dead. Massive damage to the capital. And God knows what else is wrong out there. Pipe bombs found? No. We don't talk about not impeaching the president who led this. We must impeach the president who led this. Come on in, my friend on uh, 828. Come on in. Is this uh, Hope? Hey, can you hear me all right? Yes, Hope, I can hear you clearly. Talk to me. Great. Hey, I wanted to send you a big shout out just real quickly and thank you so much for your great reporting in the aftermath of the January 6th attack. Thank you so kindly, Hope. You were always there for us as well, my friend. I think you're doing great. Um, You know, in addition to, and I wanted to just let everybody know, because you're building a nice little group here, um, and I wanted to call this article also to your attention so that you can make it part of your research, Mm -hmm. if that's okay. Yes, Um, I think everybody, in addition to supporting Egberto, in his efforts with his contribution and kind of joining into his program. Um, I also wanted to make you guys aware that High Country News has got some good reporting as well. And specifically you, Egberto, as part of your research, I want you to go look at some of their articles about the far-right terrorism and its connection into the West. I was born in the South and live in the South currently, but I um, spent a considerable amount of time as a city planner out West, and I wasn't so much working on land use issues there, but in in the latter part of my career, I've developed a real interest in land use issues. And, you know, there's there's some real ties, I mean, I think from what the FBI is finding Mm -hmm. to these groups in Oregon and also in Washington and in Arizona, um, I tend to be kind of, you know, a little too egocentric sometimes. And I think that the problem is proud boys in North Carolina, just because I drive out my driveway and I see them every day, you know? And so I tend to think that they're just concentrated in my, in my immediate scope. But um, I wanted to just call your attention to some of the stuff that High Country News has put out to see, you know, if you can make some contacts. And I mean, I'd really love to hear your thoughts on that. Well, I, I'm glad that you, so you're saying there. High Country News put out good articles. Please do me a favor. Please yeah. put a link in the feed uh, of High Country News and also uh, send me a, a, a direct message. I'm going to go ahead and add them to the to the things that I that I link back to. That way we can promote some traffic to high country news as well. Okay, hon. And I just, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm saying this not to take away from anything that you're going to talk about today. And I'll get off the phone because I know I'm taking up too much time. But I think it's just important for us to stay present and to not retreat from this. And some of the articles that they've talked about are, you know, stand up, don't, you know, exert your white privilege and just kind of melt into the background and watch this happen. Hope, I mean, let, really me, let, let me stop up. you for a second, Hope, because I want to correct you on something. You are invaluable. Mm-hmm. When you bring this type <laughs> of information, this is what we want. This is what we need. When I talk about this being your show, everyone who's presence show i genuinely mean it you guys are all over the place and the idea is many minds hundreds of thousands of minds will always be better 
than one. So thank you for what you're bringing. Please put the link in the feed and send me a direct message with the, with the link as well, okay. if you will. Please. Okay. Going to do it right now. And you're doing a fantastic job. And thank you for your work. Thank you so kindly. And you have a wonderful day. Mm-hmm. Okay, Hope? Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay, thank you. That is Hope. Hope, uh, Hope has actually uh, blogged, gave us a couple of blogs for our website. Excellent writer, excellent person who knows history very well. She gave us the history of South Carolina and that monument that they, they took down. I can't remember which monument it was particularly, but Hope, wonderful person. Anyway, folks, let's continue. I have another one to bring to you, and this video is about uh, Sarkin. Sarkin uh, talks about uh, the, the corporations that have stopped giving money to, uh, to several of these organizations, but it's a little caveat. Check this out, and then let's take it on the other side. I must say it was a bit shocking to hear a CNBC host came out and make a statement like this. Two statements, actually. I want to play this, and then we'll check it out on the other side. A growing list of companies is taking a stand-ish after last week's violence on Capitol Hill. Marriott, Best Buy, and a number of others are cutting off donations to lawmakers specifically who tried to block the Electoral College results, while others, including Microsoft and Ford, are suspending contributions to both political parties. As one CEO told me, quote, corporate America is starting to understand that silence is complicity. This as two major banks distance themselves from the president, including Deutsche Bank, which says it will now refrain from any further business with Donald Trump. Joining us now to discuss Andrew Ross Sorkin. He's co-anchor of CNBC's Squawk Box and founder of New York Times Dealbook. Andrew, uh, corporate America does not like to weigh in on politics, certainly not January, first month of the year when they've got COVID to deal with. What's your take on what we saw in the last 24 hours? It's an historic moment, but at the same time, it's a defensive moment. Uh, I don't think we should uh, give these companies any more credit than suggesting that they are recognizing what has happened here. Some of them have funded sedition. That's what's happened. They've funded sedition. uh, And the good news, if there is good news, is that they are acknowledging it and they are putting some of these uh, funding efforts on pause I think there's a big distinction between those who are singling out uh, the leaders uh, that supported this effort of sedition and those that didn't. Uh, the idea of pausing across the board to some degree is a cop-out because it effectively is, is injuring those that might be on the right side of things. Having said that, what I hope happens here more than anything is that companies see this as an opportunity to halt funding completely and forever to make this campaign finance, uh, corporate campaign finance, uh, a thing of the past. It undermines the credibility of the companies. It undermines the credibility of the politicians who take the money. I think we can all agree that the public looks at this as a bribe on one side by the companies and a bribe on the other side by the politicians. It's illegal for U.S. companies to do this kind of thing in any foreign country why it's allowed here, I think, remains one of the great, uh, uh, gr- great uh. questions. Of all. Now, here's a deal. When you rely on the Internet for everything, you need speed that can handle anything. And now Xfinity delivers Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. Check out our amazing offers on Internet and learn about the latest breakthrough from Xfinity. Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. That's more than enough speed to power all your devices and then some. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. Gig Wi-Fi requires gig speed and compatible X5 gateway. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Oh, that's a cheer we used to do in softball. Uh, what? It's, uh, actually Geico. Whenever someone hit a triple, we would wave our bats and yell, 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. But we never got to use it because we would only hit home runs. Annoying. The phrase is from Geico because they help save people money? Geico? Yeah, they were our team sponsor. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Funding sedition. Some of these companies were funding sedition is what Sorkin said. And he's correct. And the question is, now they decided after this explosion, after this insurrection, after we had a bunch of unpatriotic unpatriotic traitors uh, attempt to sack and maim and hurt 
many of these Congress people, many of these people in, in, the, in the Congress, now suddenly they are not going to fund sedition. Why did they fund it in the first place? They gave these seditious uh, lawyers or, 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 or Congress people or politicians money because they knew that they would hold the undemocratic water for these corporations, and now they got caught, so they're pulling their money out. Sarkin made another point. Remember, he said that, but you know, why are they penalizing all sides? Why are they penalizing the side that didn't do anything wrong? It is not fair. It is, in fact, it is, it is guaranteeing that when the, the, the breeze blows down or when the, when, it, when the breeze calms down, that they may just go back and do the same thing and fund these politicians that are anti-democratic. But the last thing he said is, just maybe this will give the impetus to not have corporations donating monies to politicians. He said, it's illegal elsewhere. We don't support it elsewhere. Why should we support it here under the tenets of money is speech? And somehow, if money is speech, we should have uh, unlimited wherewithal to give, these, uh, th 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 to give these guys funding. Money is not speech, and we need to get that out of the way. Good job, Senor Sorkin. You know, um, a few years ago, I was on the board of directors of Move to Amend. And one of the things that we tried, we were trying to get the 28th Amendment passed. And the idea was money is not speech and corporations are not people. And we created a, a documentary called Liberalize Democracy. And, uh, you know, and it, was, it was an important documentary uh, not liberalized democracy. Uh, le let me go ahead and you know what? Let me go ahead and pull that organization up because I, I love the organization. I you know because we 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 moved to different projects. Uh, I'm no longer on the board there, but it was a very important organization. Uh, here it. Uh, let me put it on the screen. Uh, if you guys get a chance, support these people. These are very good people here, um, and they they're working on what's called the 28th Amendment, which is uh, money is not speech and people uh, and legalized democracy that's the that's a documentary for which I'm the uh, executive producer and that's a documentary that um that we put out there you should check it out at some time it's called legalized democracy uh it's important documentation i mean a documentary check it out when you get a chance anyhow um our last video before our interview is uh is sort of a kudos to two women uh specifically uh uh, Stephanie Rule, and I can't remember the other uh, reporter, the host's name, but they, they explained their COVID experience. But what I love that they did is that they explained their COVID experience in a manner that touches us all. So check this out, then we'll take it on the other side. Many times the outcome of COVID-19 is based on your status in the country based on your income, based on quite a bit. And you know what is wonderful? When you have those people who are giving you the news, acknowledging that fact, acknowledging the privilege of many, uh, at the same time, pointing out that something needs to be done about it. Love these two women. Check this out. Yesterday, I had a long conversation with Dr. Vin Gupta, who we both know very well, who's been a great resource for us about what kinds of suggestions he would make and I would make to families. And I think the first thing is when I spoke to a nurse when my sister was transferred uh, to a, um, a home to get rehab a few days ago, she told me every day I go home and collapse. But he says, don't feel guilty about trying to get information from the doctors, trying to get information from the nurses. You have a right to do that, and that's their job. So never feel like you're bothering them if you call to see how your loved one is doing, especially since you cannot go into the hospital. Clearly communicate the goals of care. One thing he told me yesterday, for example, my sister remains so weak, she cannot sit up on her own. She cannot stand on her own. He said, is she getting enough calories, you should ask them that. And finally, know what your loved one's wishes are. Here is what um, Dr. Gupta told me about that. Understanding in clear terms what someone would want if they're very sick, if they may need a ventilator, would they want that? 
if they might need to be in a nursing home for an extended period of time on a ventilator? Is that something they would want? These are clear potential outcomes for anybody in the country right now, unfortunately. Chris, yeah, it's uh, it's something every family should know. Can I just say one more thing? I want to repeat what you've said so many times. Wear a mask. I would not wish this on anyone. I do want to ask you, though, watching this and hearing your story just made me think about privilege. You got to call Vin Gupta. I got to call Vin Gupta. We're super lucky women with great jobs, with access to health experts. What must this be like for people who don't have families of privilege or access to anything? What is it like for the millions of Americans out there who are just suffering in silence? I thought about that every day. First of all, again, I have a large family, so I wasn't working on this alone. I have other brothers and sisters who have been taking this on every single day. I have the privilege of working for a company that when I said my sister is critically ill, they said, go do what you need to do. There was never any question about that, and I still had a paycheck coming in. And yes, when I was making phone calls, and I made a lot of phone calls uh, to help my sister, I'm a journalist. I know the questions to ask, and I know not to give up. I know if I hear no to keep calling. And so you're right. And then I just think finally this is brought to bear. You talked about it when your family was sick. The disparity with uh, financial resources in this country. Uh, God willing and medical uh, services willing, my sister gets to go home. She may need help. We have the ability to get it for her. Very few other families in this country have the ability to do that. And we're 10 months in, and we're talking about the same problems we talked about, about these disparities, Stephanie, at the start. Well, I now, if, if enough Americans hear that narrative, if enough Americans hear that the people in the media, the people in power, generally speaking, they have the wherewithal, they have the necessary resources when they become sick, when they are hit by COVID or other diseases, but the vast majority of the American people don't. And the thing about it is the people who make decisions in this country are like these ladies or people of that status, and most people simply hope that they will make the right choices because, again, that's how it currently is. So, therefore, having people not having to talk about their privilege and to expose it makes a huge difference. So when uh, Stephanie Rule comes out and says, the one thing we have to note here is we have the privilege to talk to Dr. Gupta. We have the privilege to, when, if we, to stay home and still be paid. We have the privilege to have all these things that many Americans, most Americans don't have. Think about how much better or how more successful we would have been in this pandemic if people just didn't believe they had to go out there and work, they had to do all these things where they potentially got more infected. It's not only those who don't want to wear masks. It's not only the irresponsible ones that are causing the explosion of COVID throughout the country. It is also those that have to go out there and work irrespective of how they feel. So our pandemic would have been a lot less if we had better social safety nets. Even having the irresponsible group of people who refuse to wear masks, even with them, we would have had a better outcome if we had a social safety net, which made sure that companies that need to be open to stay alive, that people had to go to work to be able to feed their families, realize that, you know what, our social safety net will simply get us through this pandemic. We'll stop, we'll freeze, and then later on we can go forward. Stephanie Rule, that was a good piece. I hope enough people who make decisions watch it and develop a level of empathy so that when they go out there to make laws, create policies, or have employees, or whatever, that they will be able to come up with the right choices, the right decisions to make life better for everybody else. 
Absolutely, to make life better for everybody. Well, folks, we're at the halfway mark, or a little past the halfway mark. It's the time where I ask you to please support the show. Please, if you are on YouTube, please feel free to press that join button and please become a member of our posse. You know what we call it? The PDR Posse. Uh, who named it the PDR Posse? No one else but Bridge MCP, one of the members of our PDR Posse and a longtime listener, watcher, sharer of Politics Done Right. She named it and we kept the name the PDR Posse standing for Politics Done Right Posse. So please go ahead and hit that join button to become a member. If you want also, you can always give us a super chat by hitting that. I think it's a dollar sign that they have on the thing there. You can click on that baby and say, yeah, we want to support Politics Done Right and the work that you are actually doing. So we we, we honor, uh, we would love your support. If you're not on YouTube right now, if you're on another channel, whether that be Facebook Live, YouTube Live, or, or Facebook Live, Periscope, or Twitch, you can go ahead and click on uh, politicsdoneright.com slash YouTube, politicsdoneright.com slash YouTube. And that way you can get to the, uh, to the little video that we do when we're asking you to become a part of the Politics Done Right Posse. The Politics Done Right Posse helps support us put the message out. Alternatively, uh, you can go ahead and support us via Patreon. That is politicsunright.com slash Patreon, politicsunright.com slash Patreon. That's spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N politicsdoneright.com slash patron is the way it's done. And of course, all of us who are doing this kind of work, we take PayPal. So go ahead and click on politicsdoneright.com slash PayPal, politicsdoneright.com slash PayPal. If you look at the screen right now, what you're going to see is you see that book that I have called It's Worth It, How to, uh, how to uh, Talk to Your Right Wing Friends, Neighbors, All That Good Stuff. That book is, you can find that book if you want to get it at Amazon. You can pick it up at Amazon, and I'm going to put that link in the feed right now. That is the link to pick up that book at Amazon. It's a, it, it's a good book if you want to get some information as well as being able, able to have that conversation with your right-wing friends, neighbors, families, all that good stuff. If you want to get rid of the middleman and, and get it directly from us, you can just go to politicsdoneright.com slash store politicsdoneright.com slash store. If you buy it directly from us, we'll also include stuff like a bumper, a Politics Done Right bumper sticker and some other stuff in, in that in that package. So, uh, by the way, and also both at Amazon, in other words, you have all my books. As I see it, Class Warfare, the only resort to right-wing doom, teach you a lot about economics in an easy way to understand. And, of course, this is, oh, this is my new book, as uh, the, the one that says it's worth it. And you know I have my weight loss book as well. So check it out, please. Uh, please help us out. Make sure that we can keep this stuff going. All right. Without further ado, we're going to go to our guest today, Mondell Robinson, who will be discussing black men's vote. Welcome to one more edition of Politics on Radamek. Berto Willis, your host. Thank you so kindly for being here with us. We have a great, a, a, a great activist out here right now with us. Uh, Mondale Robinson. He usually says W. Mondale Robinson is here with us. He is the founder of the Black Male Voter Project. He's also the National Political Director for Democracy for America. He's a political contributor to the Village Celebration. And I know that he also has a podcast that he's going to tell us about. Anyhow, welcome to Politics Done Right, Senor Mondale. How are you doing today? Peace, brothers. Good to see you outside of the confines of Netroots. So I ain't get to shake hands with you this year because of COVID, but it's good to see you. Hey, it's great seeing you, man. I, I, I tell you, you know, I'm from original from Central America, and we're a huggy, huggy culture, and this is hard on me. This COVID thing is hard on me, but you know what? Yeah. I'm going to see you. Hopefully, we're going to all be taken care of that we can see each other in August when we uh, have Net Roots right. 2021. We'll see what happens then. Anyhow, mm-hmm. Mondale, how you been? Man, busy, man. Um, trying to, one, survive COVID, make sure I'm safe and also ensure that, uh, you know, the, the politics of black men are heard and also seen in this country. So, yeah, super busy with that. Not to mention uh, the stuff we do at Democracy for America and the podcast Clickbaity Political Thirst Trap. I'll tell you what, let's let's go give you a plug for that first. Tell, tell us a little <laughs> bit about your new it's a new podcast, right? Yeah, I mean, we started it um, in March of last year. So, you know, we've, we've been going strong, man. Uh, it started out as an evening podcast. We did it two times a week. And then uh, right in the middle of it, we saw that it was something bigger than, and, and folk were vibing with it. So we took it to a morning podcast. So every morning around 
ish to around 1030 to 11 o'clock. We're on air um, on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Yeah, just streaming live, man, at the Ben Dixon Network. Um, oh, you're working with Ben the other Dixon. The two co-hosts okay. are Ben Dixon and Marcus Farrell. Great. Yeah, yeah. I tell so you ben, what, ben, us... joined the, ben, ben joined the podcast later. Excellent. Give us the link that folks can go to to pick up that podcast website and so forth. Yeah, so the easiest way to get the podcast is go to Facebook and go to Clickbaity Political Thirst Trap. Clickbaity Political Thirst Trap, and you can find the podcast. I mean, we have some great, whole, uh, some great visitors. We had uh, Cornell West uh, this past week. We had Nomiki Kuntz. We had, um, yeah, we have a ton of people come join the show, man. It's a wonderful conversation. It's a safe space for black men political thought. So it was, it was formed as a, uh, you know, a byproduct of Black Male Voter Project. Well, excellent. What I'll do is uh, when, when I get this blog out and this show out, I'll tag you guys directly on the, on the blog as well. Anyhow, tell me a little bit about um, Black, voter, Black Male Voter Project. Why did you, why did you found this, um, this organization? Uh, because I was in politics for 20 years, and, uh, and I didn't hear any of the white consultants that control uh, democratic or progressive politics speaking in a way that was conducive to increasing Black men's participation in electoral politics. Uh, we know that nearly half of the black men in this country that are already registered to vote, nearly half of the black men in this country that are already registered to vote have not voted in six consecutive elections. And that's not a critique of black men because we know people turn out to vote because resources are spent on them. And since no one was spending resources to prioritize black men, it was weird to believe that you were going to increase black men's participation in electoral politics, especially when you couple the fact that they weren't prioritizing our needs and also the fact that black men don't have their basic needs met. And if you consider the lessons learned from Maslow hierarchy of needs, that tells us if a person don't have their basic needs met, they can't think about things that are self-actualization. And the way we play politics in this country, it seems a self-actualization. And so black men didn't have time to think about voting because no one was talking to them about the fact that uh, politics could really address, uh, if done properly, it could address the fact that we are transient in housing, that we are underemployed, that we are, if we are even employed, that we could use politics to address the fact that we are over-sentenced or overrepresented in those who are killed by cops or overrepresented in those who are suspended or expelled from school. These are all political issues that weren't being presented to black men in a real way. The way the politics come to black men are a very transactional way. Two months before an election, talking about uh, a candidate prioritizing a personality or talking about a party that didn't really speak to the needs of black men. So we, re we, th we threw all traditional campaigning out of the window and revamped the way we came up with politics and how we played politics and presented it to black men in a hope that we can expand the electorate and bring more brothers out to the poll. I think that is so important. You know, one of the other things that I'd like to, and I'd like you to address this as well. There's a whole lot of, I mean, there were millions of dollars, billions of dollars that was spent in the last election. And uh, what I notice is a whole lot of consultants get these $10,000 contracts, these $15,000 contracts, these $50 million contracts. But somehow, uh, from what I've understood, uh, the different groups that comprise, let's say, the Democratic Party, it's usually not spread out to these different ethnicities, people who can better address within their communities that which will bring people out to vote. Is that part of what you, the, the reason that you formed this to ensure that you can say, this is what I represent. You want this vote, fund this vote. I mean, so, I mean, you're, you're not, you're not off. I mean, the Democratic Party on the presidential election last cycle, 2020, spent $1.3 billion. And less than 5% of that went to people of color, not just black people, less than 5% went to all people of color. So when you consider that uh, less than 5% of the consultants of that 1.3 billion went to black people, when black people overwhelmingly make up the democratic base percentage wise, it is absolutely weird. Um, yeah, I think, I think our, our, our reasoning and our, uh, the reason we found that black male voter project has everything to do with the fact that had everything to do with the fact that uh, we needed to address 
our issues in, a, in an effort to bring black men to the poll, to expand the number of brothers that were voting. And we could no longer wait on the Democratic Party and all of its auxiliary, including its candidates, to do the work of engaging us in a way that was uh, one, culturally appropriate, and also one that was effective. So we created Black Male Voter Project not as a benefit to the Democratic Party, but as a benefit for our community, because we know when Black men vote, uh, there are more progressive ideas and candidates elected, and that's beneficial to the entirety of our community. So the, the, the need to form Black Male Voter Project has been there, I mean, for 150 years, if you consider that Black men were the first demographic out of, after white men with the passage of the 15th Amendment to get the voting, the right to vote. But anybody that believes that the 15th Amendment actually gave Black men the right to vote have not been paying attention to American politics. What it actually did was make us the first people to be victims of voter suppression, and it has been consistent if you consider the fact all the ways that our white people now try to hinder people from voting, uh, i.e. criminal records, i.e. voter identification, i.e. Uh, the closing of polls, i.e. shortening of hours, all of these things negatively affect black men uh, more than most demographics uh, in this country. No, so um, we created we Black Male Voters Project as a way to as a way to inform brothers and to to let them know that voting uh, is, is part of it, but being civically engaged is more important. And we know that when once brothers are civically engaged, then voting will become a byproduct of that new mentality. Now, I understand that you're currently in 13 states, Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, Mississippi, Florida, Alabama, Texas, Arkansas, Ohio, Indiana, New York, and New Jersey. Do you intend to make this a 50-state proposition? Well, we are currently in 17 states now. Um, oh, so, so you, okay. Uh, we, we, yeah, we're, we're already expanding. We're in Michigan. We're in uh, Wisconsin, Ohio as well. So, yeah, um, and Kentucky also. So, yeah, we are, we're definitely, uh, it's, it's, it's our job to be wherever black men are. Um, I don't know about 50 states because, you know, there's 220 brothers in, in, uh, in uh, North Dakota or something. You can't forget about Alaska. North Dakota, Mondale. We can't forget about North Dakota, but I don't think it's efficient, uh, effective <laughs> and efficient to, uh, we, we have a better chance of calling those brothers, asking them if they want to move down <laughs> south somewhere where the weather's better. <laughs> But I mean, we are definitely trying to be in places where uh, black men exist in a way that, you know, that's that's significant. And if, if you think about it, um, it's the missing piece. Our when we when we started Black Male Voter Project, our goal was to close the gap between black men and black women. So the 10 percent of where, you know, black women vote higher than black men. Um, that was our goal to shut that down this year by five percent and um, and in the future by making it, you know, at least uh even or even where black men are voting at a higher percentage, if, if possible, than sisters knowing that this is a beneficial to the work uh, that's necessary to, to bring, bring black men uh, into the political fold in a way that their issues are seen and their voices are heard. Now, uh, Tracy, uh, Stacey Abrams in uh, Georgia was very successful in uh, bringing out people of color and uh, people of color and uh, underrepresented people, the works. Did you work with her this cycle in Georgia at all? I mean, I, I uh, so not, not directly. Uh, we, we both sit at the C4 table. Um, and um, so... I mean, Fair Fight is her organization, so we 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 bothly we we both sat on those calls. Her organization and my organization sat on the C four calls uh, on a weekly basis, sometimes multiple times a week, and uh, we, there was information sharing happening, of course. Um, and then also at the end of the cycle, uh, Stacey Abrams' organization sent us a, a a check also. So shout out to Stacey for that. Uh, her her saying our work and saying that this is this is a work that we need. Uh, this is work that she wanted to support. So shout out to the team over at Fair Fight for doing that. Um, but Black Male Voter Project is a unique uh, monster. We we reach out to organ. We do the work that some organizations, most organizations can't. If you consider in Georgia, there's nearly one million Black men that are registered to vote, and before 2020. 460,000 of that million had not voted in six election cycles, federal election cycles. So that wow. means they didn't vote for Stacey Abrams in 2018. They didn't vote in 2016. They didn't vote for Barack Obama in 2008 or 12. But of those brothers, we turned out 104,000 black men. So black men that were registered to vote before 2008 that did not vote for Barack Obama in 2008, 2012, nor did they vote in 2018. They came out to the poll this election cycle, 104,000. So you can Many actually came to the poll. You can claim a piece of that action that's actually got the win. That that's huge. An extra hundred thousand men. That's huge. Now, um, what's your what? How do you do it? 
Introducing touch-free payments from PayPal, a safe way for your customers to pay. Simply download the PayPal app and display your own unique QR code for your customers to scan. Whether you're a market seller, I'll take two tomatoes and a cucumber. Poodle pamperer, <laughs> piano tuner, or plumber. Signing up to accept touch-free payments for your business is easy. Touch-free QR code payments. Shop safe with PayPal. For the ones who know that a little late is always too late, and that the clock doesn't stop just because you're missing a part, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, and our KeepStock inventory management solutions help ensure you have the right stuff in the right place at exactly the right time. Visit Granger.com/keepstock to learn more. Granger for the ones who get it done. Now you don't go to KFC and ask them for their secret sauce. Come on, brother. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. I know. I know. Um, <laughs> yeah. So what we do is we we just we cut down um, the transactional nature of campaigning. We don't come to brothers two months before an election. We actually spend an entire year talking to brothers uh, about their issues. And before we start talking to them, we spend the first part of that year listening. We have these conversations called "Brothers Be Voting," where there are no cameras. There are no women, there are no white people. It's just black men in a room and we're listening to brothers and we overpopulate for regular black men, brothers who are uh, drug dealers, gang members, people who don't vote regularly. And we are like, we invite one or two political people in the room, but not so they can filibuster the conversation just so they can listen and see how wrong they're getting in politics. And from that, from those conversations, we build out a national platform with the top three issues for black men. And we go around and engage brothers on those issues. And we, before we uh, get into any political engagement, we ask brothers five or six questions. Those questions are uh, what's missing from your community? Who are the leaders in the community? What's necessary to make your community whole? What's necessary to make you whole? And who and who uh, do you see as a leader individually? So we, we take those three issues and build out uh, a platform talking about those five questions or five or six questions. And then we engage brothers five or six times around those issues and also those questions. And after that, we begin what look where we start talking uh, how politics affect one, the issues that they said were important to them, plus with those national issues as well that we identify through our brothers be voting conversations. And from there, we start persuading brothers on how you can make a change, how you can engage these issues and how voting can change those issues. Not that voting is the only tool that's necessary to get us free, but it's definitely a tool to put in your box to help us get closer to liberation. You know, Mondale, that that is magic. The thing about it is uh, the thing that you said there, you just listen. You first start listening. You start trying to develop a relationship with them and not just, I need your vote. It's developing a relationship and seeing what actually will make a difference within that community. That is magic. And that, that will always work. Now, I want to kind of go on a little sidetrack here. Um, we've been seeing over the, between 2016 and 2020, first of all, in 2016 and then past 2016 to 2020, that black males have supported uh, the, the likes of Donald Trump in a manner that I find, uh, I, I don't understand. What can you tell me about that? It, it's not true. It's not. Okay. Uh, so Explain, like, please. Yeah. The, yeah. So, so yeah. So there was an exit poll. This, this whole, like the narrative uh, came out like after 2016 because 12, you know, 12% of in 2016, about 12 to 15% of black men voted for Donald Trump. But what people forget is that every election cycle, somewhere between eight and 15 percent, 18 and 20 percent, I'm sorry, 18 and 18 percent of black people vote Republican. This is not new. Actually, if you look at uh, every Republican nominee for president, Donald Trump did worse than all of them, except for Mitt Romney and, and, and John McCain, which were two Republican candidates who lost the presidency, a presidential election. Um, so and in this election cycle, Donald Trump actually did not, no better with black men than he did in 2016, which is where black men always fall. The idea that black men are, are running to Donald Trump is a, is a myth that was passed by one consultants who were saying, one, there's no motivation for black people to go to the poll. And then secondly, black men are going to vote more for Donald Trump because he was, he was braggadocious or he was rambunctious. And I saw all types of people play to this narrative from posters to Barack Obama. I even heard Barack Obama say, oh, black men like Donald Trump because of rap music and rap music is appeasing to Donald Trump. But if you look at rap music, 
uh, this is this shows that uh, there's a disconnect between Barack Obama and the, the black men in this country. Because if you look at rap music, before Donald Trump ran for president, there was always songs about Donald Trump and his money. But when he began to run for president, there was a song called F Donald Trump written by <laughs> Nipsey Hussle and YG yes. in 2015. And there's not been a positive song in rap music about Donald Trump since then. So the world continues to try to play black men in a certain way, but we continue to show up. And the reason I know this is because not only in uh, Georgia, but in all the states we worked in, we saw black men voting at record numbers in the Democratic primary even in most cases, higher than what they did in 2008 for Barack Obama, this election cycle. And to vote in a Democratic primary is to say that you voted, you were voting against what Trump stood for. But people just rejected this idea and continue with this bad narrative. Um, I don't no, know I why I think people get a kick out of, uh, you know, kicking black men when we're down or whatever. Well, actually, that, that, is, a, that is a common. Let me tell you, that is one of the reasons I do independent media. One of the reasons that I do independent media is because a lot of times uh, a narrative gets placed, whether it starts at Fox News or it starts somewhere else, and then everybody pick up on the same piece. And as opposed to any somebody else picking up somebody like, let's go to the uh, Black Male Voter Project and interview these guys who are sitting with these folks and find out what the real story is. Somebody grabs the narrative and take off with it. And, and to some extent, that's sort of a disrespect that I find in today's politics on all sides. And yeah. that is that yeah. um, a lot of times people are asking questions of, uh, of, of a consultant that has nothing to do with that community. And they're asking them, what do you think about that? I, I recently was at a, an, in a board meeting and I, I, I didn't say anything. I just kind of smiled when I mentioned something about how people of color saw the, this, the, the, uh, in, not, saw the insurrection that we just had, you know, to people of color, that wasn't any, nothing strange. To people of color, it was like, we get an opportunity for you to see that people can act the fool, people can be violent, people can be killers, and police officers are veterans, back your neighbors. Exactly. Exactly. But when we say that, when black folks or Latinos or other people say that, it's like, oh, you're just, you're just saying that. Well, America got to saw on national TV. These people ransacked the Capitol, and most of the police did what again, Mr. Mon Mr. Robinson? Stepped aside and let them do it. Exactly. Let me, let me, let, let me, let me just say something to you. I, I want to go a step further, and, and I hope I'm not offending you when I say this. It is absolutely true that uh, what, we, what we just saw was a ransacking of the Capitol, but what we actually saw was that patriotism in America is synonymous with white supremacy. Uh, we saw veterans. I'm a Marine Corps veteran. We saw veterans. We saw police officers. We saw officials show up and try to take over and overthrow the government. America is a banana republic, and Donald Trump has a large role to do with it. So we, we just got to be honest in all of these terms and all of this, this shenanigans that we, we keep playing, playing lip service with. It's dangerous because what's happening is America is on display and its whiteness is ravaging uh, this this democracy right now. I, unless people are willing to address it, we are we are we are at a dangerous uh, pressure point in our in our space. And that is that is important to note because I I've said that on my program as well. You have to understand exactly what's going on if you're going to fix the problem. And what's going on is there is a there's a sect in this country that white sect in this country that. Uh, if things don't go the way that they think it should go, they are willing to destroy the country to ensure Absolutely. that it does. And Absolutely. I don't know why you thought that would offend me, but I'm, you know, <laughs> you know, some some people, some people don't, some people don't. I appreciate you doing independent media and doing it right. Um, so I don't know why I thought it would offend you. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm just kind of curious. But anyhow, uh, Mondale, uh, when I'm about to close every interview, I asked like me to ask you that I didn't. Hmm. Um, that's a good question. I think, I think for me, um, I like to tell people, you know, why, what the difference between me doing politics and some of my white friends that do politics and why I got into politics. Right. So, um, if you would have asked me why I, why I do politics, I would have told you that, um, I, I didn't, I didn't start doing politics. Politics started my life, um, partly because my father, uh, who was the son of a sharecropper, 
uh, was was born on a uh, plantation, meaning he was the son of a sharecropper. And uh, he got a felony conviction for smacking a white boy who whose father owned the farm because the white boy smacked my grandmother and knocked her off the porch. Wow. And his punishment was nothing. But for my father, they had first my family had to run, had to take him to Virginia and hide him for two years so that the Klan wouldn't kill him for hitting a white man. But when he came back, he got a felony conviction. And that that limited our lives and what we did. It, it forced us to grow up in poverty um, because it started a cycle that didn't end. Um, you know, the F, the F is the scarlet letter for black men in this country. And uh, we, we growing up in, in Eastern North Carolina, extremely poor, and my dad having a felony conviction. Uh, my entire life, I wondered why my dad, this man who could do anything from uh, pavement, laying pavement to putting roofs on houses to building houses almost, but we were always poor. It, it blew my mind. Coupled that with the fact that uh, the white man that was a fire chief of my hometown was the same white man that sprayed my mother with fire hose her entire life for being downtown at the dark only because she was black. Uh, so growing up in North Carolina, even though I'm 41 years old, I got to witness uh, remnants of segregation and Jim Crow in a way that most people thought was over my entire life. Um, and that's why I do politics and that's why a Black Male Voter Project exists. Mondale, you do it well. Mondale Robinson, founder of Black Male Voter Project, National Political Director for Democracy for America, among many other titles. Thank you so kindly for having been on Politics Done Right. We spend a lot. Well, well, well. Thank you so kindly, Mondale, for that interview. And thank you to all my peeps that are here uh, watching the things. Let me go ahead and run through real quickly. Bridge MCP, welcome aboard. Christina Gorsinoff, welcome aboard. Uh, Julie Van Ostel, welcome aboard. Matter, um, Michael Rudnan, Paul Fleming, uh, welcome aboard. The Duck That Quacks, Judy Meyer. Uh, let's see. Who else am I missing? Ernesto Migoya. Welcome aboard. Thank you for saying the show rocks. I really take that deep in the heart. Scott Garris. Welcome aboard. Uh, let's see. Who else am I missing? Who else am I missing? I'm scrolling up, scrolling up, scrolling up. Julie Van Ostel. I think I called you already. Uh, let's see. Christina Gurnoff. I think I called you as well. You know, the mind doesn't work as good all of the times. AVQ. Welcome aboard. Uh, let's see, Paul Fleming, welcome aboard. Norman Reynolds, welcome aboard. Bruce Ballard, welcome aboard. AVQ, uh, somebody using my name. Amy Willies, welcome aboard. Paul Fleming, welcome aboard. All right, let's see, coming down. Uh, let's see, uh, Tank 28 is with us, giving us trouble as usual, but still love you, Trump 28, or Tank 28. Lawrence Sims, welcome aboard. Uh, who else is here? Who else is here? I'm scrolling. I'm scrolling. Eric Hayes, my conservative brother. Uh, Paul Fleming. Let's see. Who else is here? Uh, in the chat, that is. And if I miss you, sure. Beer. Welcome aboard. Uh, if I miss you, forgive me. Just throw me another message. And when I go back down to the bar, Nanette Bird-Smith. Welcome aboard. Tracy Armato. Welcome aboard. Uh, let's see. If I miss you, just send me another message and I will salute you. I will honor you. Uh, Monique Hewen, welcome aboard. I love to call everybody out. Uh, Brian Miner, welcome aboard. Monique Hewen, welcome aboard. Uh, let's see who else is here. And I think I got everybody. I'm going down to the bottom to see if anybody else made themselves in Panama. We say presente. Reynard Blake, welcome aboard. Welcome aboard. Judy Meyer, welcome aboard. J.A. Gonzalez, welcome aboard. And I think I got everybody now. Look, folks, I appreciate you coming here. Yes, you're here, Reynard Blake. I appreciate all of you who spent the time with us today. Welcome to the PDR Posse. Join the PDR Posse by clicking on Join if you're on YouTube. Join the PDR Posse by going to politicsdoneright.com slash YouTube, as I just placed it there in the link. Support us by getting the book that you see on the screen. It's worth it. Here is the Amazon link. If you want to bypass Amazon and go directly to us, our store, uh, please remember you can go to our store, politicsdoneright.com slash store. And don't forget, please don't forget that even on YouTube, we have our, our T-shirts and our 
hoodies and all that kind of stuff. Get some of those stuff to help support the program. Let's see. Norman says, this quantification analysis of the voting record of a black man in the last election relative to other needs to be explored and reported on how could we get this data. I will get his data. Roberto Luis. Muchísimas gracias por estar aquí, compatriota mía. That is mío. That is my brother from uh, Panama. We played music together. Anyway, folks, I got to get out of here. My name is Egberto. Eric, hey, stay out of Amazon. Hey, come on, Eric. Uh, tell them to come to my store then, politicsandright.com slash store. And you should get our book as well, Eric. You need to get our book. Uh, and it, it explains a lot of what we talk about. Anyway. My name is Egberto Willis. This is Politics Done Right. And you know how I end this baby. I am what? Out! We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to, trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join. This message is sponsored by Amazon. I want to get back to kissing the cheeks of my grandbabies, making Sunday dinner with a house full of family and lots of laughs. <laughs> COVID-19 has changed how we live and how we feel, but now there are vaccines. It's okay to have questions. Now get the facts. Visit GetVaccineAnswers.org so you can make an informed decision about COVID-19 vaccines. It's up to you. Brought to you by the Ad Council. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Oh, that's a cheer we used to do in softball. Uh, what? It's, uh, actually Geico. Whenever someone hit a triple, we would wave our bats and yell, 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. But we never got to use it. Because we would only hit home runs. Annoying. The phrase is from Geico because they help save people money. Geico? Yeah, they were our team sponsor. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more.